Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, we're discussing the recent Ethics Committee opinion, Fertility Care in Times of Public Health Crises. Joining us is Dr. Jennifer Kowas, who is Medical Director, Emory Reproductive Center Associate Professor, Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility Guest Researcher, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Kowas, welcome back to ASRM Today. Thank you so much for having me. Also joining us is Dr. Katie Cameron, Director of Third-Party Reproduction, Johns Hopkins Fertility Center, Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility, Department of Gynecology and Obstetrics, Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Dr. Cameron, welcome to ASRM Today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. So glad to have you both here today to talk about this. Uh, I want to start with you, Dr. Cameron, this ethics committee opinion. How did this come about? What was this process like? Sure. Um, So I think that the ethics committee wanted to write an opinion, um, just kind of outlining for membership, some of the framework shifts and kind of ethical underpinnings of public health ethics. And, you know, obviously COVID-19 was the impetus for this, but we also wanted to kind of make this a hopefully a living document to um, outline some framework that we think might be helpful for, you know, um, unpredictable things that may happen in the future. So, really kind of the, um, at baseline, the conflict um, that, you know, we all felt as professionals in reproductive medicine when the COVID-19 pandemic first hit and, you know, ASRM recommendations were to temporarily pause fertility treatment, that you know, was obviously kind of against um, what we we are used to doing in terms of advocating for our individual patients. So the goal of this document was to just kind of, you know, review some of the ways in which our framework needs to shift to appropriately respond to public health crises with the goal of ultimately trying to get back to care as quickly as possible for our individual patients. Was it, was there any role that the, that for any government agencies or that the government in general maybe might have played in development of these things as the as the process was going on or as even as the pandemic was going on? Yeah, I think, you know, in general, the pandemic was obviously evolving very quickly. And I think, you know, a universal theme was that a lot of government regulations were kind of at state and local levels. And so there wasn't, you know, kind of clear sort of larger oversight. And so I think that the ASRM task force stepped in a little bit and sort of provided that role for our society in general. Let me ask you then, Dr. Kowas, how did the committees get involved in this? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. So the ASRM COVID-19 task force is something that certainly, you know, of course, didn't exist before the pandemic and something from which we have certainly learned a lot. But to summarize sort of briefly, once you realize that the pandemic was relevant and increasingly important in the United States, the leadership of ASRM called together a group of individuals from all around the country to form a COVID-19 task force. This was in March of 2020, probably about mid-March. And the task force included individuals that were academic uh, reproductive endocrinologists, private practice reproductive endocrinologists, infectious disease specialists, embryologists, patients, mental health providers, epidemiologists. So sort of a broad swath of experts from around the country that initially uh, met every two weeks and over time every month and most recently even less frequently to sort of review the current data 
and look at things from the perspective of patients, providers, and then sort of the nation as a whole. And just as Dr. Cameron mentioned, tried to help providers in the United States navigate uh, the pandemic as it evolved. And I remember also we were at the time this podcast launched at, at the same time as as all this was going on, and we were collaborating with the with the task force in trying to get the updates, you know, mentioned and and out. And as you said, it was first it was a little bit more frequent, and it's it's of course lessened up as as hopefully we're we're swinging you know out of one one phase of things. But I want to ask you, Dr. Cameron, you know, advocacy is such a large part of how we try to get information spread. What do you think is the, is the role of advocacy moving forward? We, we're present, but yet we're looking forward to possible, you know, future problems without pressing a red button or an alarm or, you know, causing some sort of panic because as providers and specialists and everyone in the field of reproductive medicine, we, there's been the time that we unfortunately had to recommend that, you know, you know maybe we need to shut things down to a degree for a while. So, you know what I mean? It, it was, it, it's already been sort of, <laughs> sort of a, a, a touchy time, but you, you know, what, what, what do you see then as the role of advocacy sort of moving forward? Sure. Well, one of the things that I think we wanted to really try to highlight with this document is that any pause or cessation of care is going to sort of further marginalize already marginalized patient populations. So same-sex couples, single individuals, people who aren't able to procreate without assistance um, are already a vulnerable population that, you know, we as providers obviously feel very passionate about and that, you know, any kind of change in the availability of reproductive services is going to further marginalize those groups. And so just wanting to be, you know, as mindful of that as possible. One of the things that we write about in the document is in terms of kind of short-term mitigation, sort of what providers can do in the immediate setting of a public health crisis to try to, um, you know, things to consider to try to be able to reoffer care as quickly as possible. And then, you know, sort of longer term things in terms of how to better ensure safeguards of access to care for those populations, you know, including continuing to lobby for expanded insurance coverage. Potentially, you know, um, this pandemic has given us a lot of opportunities to think about how telemedicine may help extend our reach and our ability to access patient populations that may not have reproductive uh, medicine immediately available to them, that sort of thing to, to just kind of be mindful of the fact that this is going to, you know, any sort of public health crisis and, and shift in care is going to sort of further margin, marginalize those populations that um, are already vulnerable. And I think we also learned the importance of inclusion of pregnant women and people in the periconception period in vaccine trials and scientific research. This pandemic really made it obvious how much the data with that were specific to pregnant individuals and those in the periconceptive period were sort of delayed in getting enough data to feel confident in vaccination. And so we ended up sort of having to make up for lost time and share the data as it became available. But it would have been really tremendous if from the beginning there was publicly available data suggesting vaccine safety. In, in the preconception and early pregnancy and during pregnancy period. We, we now know um, that that data exists, but it would have been nice if they had not been excluded initially. 
Absolutely. And that was something that we wanted to highlight as well, that, you know, that's really kind of a tenant of informed consent is, is part of having data available to make an informed decision. And so when, when pregnant persons are excluded from those trials, we're really, you know, denying them um, the same opportunity that others have to collect data in kind of a controlled research setting. And instead, we're asking, you know, pregnant people to make decisions about their health based on a paucity of data. Recently, through the website, uh, back on March 2nd of this year, uh, it was published, uh, COVID Reproductive Health and Public Policy, Lessons Learned After Two Years of the Ongoing Pandemic from the ASRM COVID-19 Task Force, which ties into our our conversation today. I pose this question to, to you both. Can you talk a little bit about, there's a term in there about it says about being nimble. Uh, I was wondering if you could maybe discuss that a little bit further. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll start and then I'm Dr. Cameron, I'm sure can jump on in. I think this is relevant to not only this pandemic, but those that may come in the future, just this concept that the data and the science evolve over time and the recommendations as a result may evolve over time. And similarly, the sort of balance between the individual and the and what's best for the social good of the whole uh, will also evolve over time. And so I think this, in some ways, um, as difficult as it's been, has been a tremendous learning experience in terms of ways that we can come together as a nation, uh, involve people from all different walks of expertise, and come together with our patients and providers' best interests at heart to sort of navigate the evolution of a crisis as it unfolds. So I, I think you're exactly right. And I think that um, one of the things that this document tried to do was just highlight some kind of higher level themes that we need to be cognizant of as we navigate future crises, because exactly as you said, you know, the next crisis, it may be a public health crisis um, that looks different. Um, it may be an environmental crisis. It's kind of hard to predict exactly how individual rights and societal needs will need to be balanced um, when the time comes. And so that's one of the things that we were trying to do was to write something that was a little bit enduring, but that may help frame future challenges that we'll face as a field. Well, I'm, I'm certain that everyone can uh, agree that we all hope there's a little breathing room in between <laughs> now and whatever that is that might come uh, next down the pipe for us. Uh, we will link to all the documents we discussed today in our show notes. You can just go down, scroll through there, click on that, and it will take you to read these things. My thanks today to my guests, Dr. Jennifer Kawas and Dr. Katie Cameron. Thank you both so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having us. It was a, always a pleasure. Yeah, our pleasure. Thanks a lot. Please subscribe and rate the show through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts at. Until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today Series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.